slavery, um, you know, obviously was you know a huge money maker, and they knew that the slaves that were more prone to rebellion were the ones that were still adhering to you know their cultural ways. It gave them a sense of pride. It gave them a sense of being. It gave them a sense of you know rebellion, a sense of purpose outside of what they needed for you know their business. And if you're going to offer someone, um, some type of, you know, sedative, if you will, you know, something to calm you down, something to, um, you know, something to kind of get you in check, get you in line. I don't want it to stop my production. I still want you to be productive. I just don't want you to be disruptive. So, and I, and I, I think that, I think you can still see effects of, um, of being productive, but not being disruptive. So if you think of, if you think of um, any movements or you know any black you know leaders trying to cause disruption, um, and like you just said, a lot of these leaders might be steeped in the in the, in the Christian faith. You know they, their disruption is only is only so effective. They they still may be productive in terms of you know you go out you make money for yourself and you know you're okay, but in terms of um, disrupting the status quo to gain a little bit more equality for the community as a whole, that's a no go. An ordained minister has decided to give up God. For a year. How the heck do you just up and become atheist after being a pastor? What I'm most worried about right now is figuring out how I can live openly and honestly. I am finally free to be me. I have no idea how to find friends or become a part of a community that's not religious. What does life look like after church, after religion, after God? That's, you know, that's, that's it in a nutshell. This is the Life After God podcast, a conversation on the space between belief and unbelief and beyond with your host, Ryan Bell. Welcome back to the Life After God podcast. My name is Ryan Bell and I'm your host. This is episode 55. It's been a while since the last episode, a little over seven months to be exact, but the new year brings new commitments and I'm excited to say the podcast is back in a bi-weekly format. Every two weeks, I'll bring you the feature-length, in-depth interviews you're used to, as well as more X-Files episodes, conversations with ordinary people who have left the faith of their upbringing in search of freedom and authenticity. This time around, I'll also be creating exclusive content for my Patreon supporters, those who give monthly to support this show at $10 per month or more. Uh, The first of that content was shared with patrons on December 31st in a special New Year's Eve episode. I spoke a little bit about what I've been up to the last seven months and why the podcast has been off the air. I'll also periodically get input from patrons of the show about things they'd like to see or to vote on a particular decision I'm making about uh, content for the show. To join this growing group of supporters that make this production possible, please visit patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. If you enjoy the show and want to subscribe, you can do that at iTunes or on my Spreaker page at Spreaker.com slash LifeAfterGod. If you subscribe, you'll get a notification and you won't miss an episode that's coming out. And you won't miss a single episode. More information about how to, sus- More information about how to subscribe is in the show notes. Of course, I'd love to hear from you anytime. Uh, I really enjoy hearing from listeners about what they appreciated or what they'd like to see on the show in the future. You can write to me at ryan at lifeaftergod.org. You can also join the conversation that's taking place on our social media accounts, facebook.com slash ourlifeaftergod. Twitter is at ourlifeaftergod and Instagram also at ourlifeaftergod. 
Today, I'm speaking with author, corporate trainer, and leadership coach, Dov Evans. Dov is the founder and chief success officer of Keen Advisors, LLC, and is also a husband and father. His new book, Emancipation of a Black Atheist, came out last year from Pitchstone Publishing and describes his own evolution out of Christianity, but also explores the effects Christianity has had on the black community in America through dozens of interviews that he conducted, as well as his own personal experience. So without any further delay, here's my conversation with Dr. Dov Evans. Dov, welcome to the Life After God podcast. Thanks for having me. Well, I'm glad to be here. Yeah, it's good. To, it's good to have you. Um, I, I've been looking at your new book, Emancipation of a Black Atheist. Yes. My uh, friend Tracy Moody works for Pitchstone Press, and she thought I would uh, appreciate it, and I did, in fact, appreciate it very much. So, uh, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. Yeah, not a problem at all, man. I'm excited. So. Um, let me start off just by asking you where the idea for the book came. Um, how did you decide you wanted to to write a book with so many books out there about atheists and experiences of people that have been people of faith and then lost their faith or gave up their faith, however you want to look at it? What made you want to write a book? Um, I guess the idea for a book um, is kind of married to the deconversion story in and of itself. I, I, um, I think it probably started a little before... I got married in 2012. I, you know, my now wife and I were, you know, we were dating and um, I feel like there was a whole just confluence of events that kind of took place. Like we, you know, we're both, you know, I, I call us culturally Christian. Um, so, you know, we weren't heavy into the church or anything like that, but, you know, we would definitely identify as Christian, you know, at the time. And, you know, church was a big part of our, just, you know, our upbringing and, and things of that nature. So, when we were dating, we I, I got a documentary from a coworker. Um, it was um, for the Bible tells me so. Oh yeah, um, I yeah, know it. Yeah, so it, it was it was you know good documentary, eye opening. And the guy who recommended the documentary, he's a he's a Christian himself, but you know he's an open minded guy and um, likes talking about controversial topics. So anyway, I, I watched the documentary with my you know girlfriend at the time. And, um, and so we're sitting there watching the documentary and at the end, um, we, I remember just like, I, I've never seen anything, at least I can't speak for her, but I know for myself, I'd never seen anything like that. So, um, something that kind of just pushed back and really asked these, um, these deep questions, um, and something oftentimes uh, controversial questions about just Christianity and the church and things of that nature. Mm. And at the end of the documentary, I remember kind of looking at my wife, kind of slowly like, so what did you think? You know, and she's like, so what did you think? And then it led to this really interesting conversation um, just about Christianity. And I and I, I got the sense I quickly got the sense that we were having a conversation with each other that we haven't been able to have, you know, out loud. We may have asked these questions in our head, but this is the first time we got to, like, say it out loud without feeling like we're being judged. Hmm. So 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 that was very pivotal. And then ever since then, that was probably my first time really questioning, you know, just kind of out loud, you know. Not um not denounce anything, but just openly questioning. And then um, shortly after that, you know, my wife and I were engaged, and I remember um, I had a coworker, um, and uh, you know, you know, real cool guy and real smart and real open minded. He would he would talk to me about these he would talk to me about these different individuals that um that he looked up, and he would get all kinds of cool historical information and say, hey, you should read this, you should read that. 
So one day he comes to me and says, hey, man, you should read this. Um, you should read this guy, uh, uh, John Henry Clark and uh, Dr. Yosef Ben. And I'm like, oh, well, what are they about? And he's like, yeah, man, you know, they're both, you know, into African-American history. And um, and they both, you know, draw these comparisons between um, African spirituality and Christianity and things of that nature. And it's just, man, and Christians, you know, or Christianity is um, not really real. And, it's, you know, it's made up and you know, things of that nature. And again, so this is my first time hearing not just even really another person, but you know, another black person just like come out and just start saying all this stuff about Christianity and and, and really questioning the foundation of it. Um, but he has some sources and I'm a very curious person. You know, I love learning stuff. So just out of curiosity, I went and looked those guys up. Hmm. So a few weeks later, I saw him again and he had just gotten engaged and he um, showed up at, at, at my job with his uh, with his fiance. And um, I was all excited. I was like, hey, man, yeah, I looked up. I looked up those guys you told me about. Yeah, it was really good stuff. And his um, his new fiance, um, she is a devout Christian and she kind of got wind of some of some of the you know those individuals that he had recommended to me, Dr. Yosef Ben and um, uh, John Henry Clark. And, you know, she kind of shut that whole thing down. She was like, hey, stop that. You know, Christianity. Um, you know, it's obviously the way that that's what we're about. We're about to get married. I'm, you know, I'm trying to get you in line here. So, Whoa. um, so he kind of had to stop all of that. Mm. Um, and, uh, for that, that experience there led me to not only question more, but it also made me more curious to, um, how, how powerful, I guess the, 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 the Christian faith, um, is like in the black community. Um, it, it made me want to just explore that more. So, um, so I kept I, mean, I kept on researching and studying. And I remember there was one night I, I literally I got home um, and uh, I was I was up to like maybe four in the morning, like looking stuff up. I didn't realize it was so late. And I'm sitting here, uh, you know, compiling like just just copious notes. And eventually um, my wife, you know, saw the notes that I was all the notes I was compiling here. And she kind of jokingly said, um, you know, you might as well you know write a book with all those notes. And mm-hmm. uh and uh, that that those notes, you know, eventually, you know, became a book. But the the reason why I decided to move forward with it in the first place um, was um, so in 2012 is kind of when all that went down. And I also got married myself that year, and I had my first child that year. We moved to another city that year. There's a lot went on that year, um, and um, I was sitting on the I was sitting on that couch one day, and I was listening to um, this debate on um, Intelligence Squared. And I don't, have you heard of that Intelligence Squared? Yeah, I, I have. Yeah, yeah. I was watching that, and and um, they were they happened to be debating the topic of you know is God real? Is there a God? And um, I can't remember who's on both sides. I just remember on the obviously on the opposed side that there is no God. There was uh, Lawrence Krauss. I remember that, and on the other side was uh, Dinesh D'Souza. I do remember that. Hmm. So um, and I just remember listening to that whole debate. It was really interesting to me. And uh, at the end of the question, I asked at the end of the debate, I asked myself a very pivotal question, um, which was, you know, why do I believe in God? Um, I, didn't, I didn't come away from that debate, you know, you know, believe in one way or another necessarily. I just asked myself that very simple question because they brought up a lot of good points. And um, I, and when I asked myself that question, I really couldn't I really couldn't come up with a good answer. The best answer. Um, this sounds so pathetic when I say it out loud, but the best answer I can come up with was. Uh, because my mother said so, you know, cause once upon a time, my mother said, you know, you know there's a God and I just kind of just took it and ran from there. And obviously that's not a strong foundation for, you know, any belief for, for any grown person. So, um, 
But uh, unfortunately, I was I was kind of kicking myself because I was mad. I'd never asked that question uh, beforehand. I was in my you know, early 30s at the time. Right. You know, when I asked myself that question. But, you know, nevertheless, when I asked myself that question, um, I, I come to the conclusion that I can't really say I believe in something um, if, if I obviously don't if I obviously don't really believe in that thing. I don't really fully understand it. Um, I did because I identified with it on a cultural level, you know, especially right. in the black community. This is what you do. You know, your family's Christian. Everyone around you is Christian. You turn on the TV. Black people are all Christian. This is kind of what you do. So you kind of fall in line. But um, my but that process of asking myself that 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 pivotal question and not having a good answer um, is what led me to do even more research and then kind of formulate it into a uh, into a book. And I, di- I didn't see I didn't see a whole lot of books um, on on black people and, and, and atheism. Right. Uh, uh, I, I mean, I know there's some out there, but I just didn't see a whole lot of them. You know, right, I, right. I, I ran across a few, um, and I was trying to figure out what my lane would be. Um, and the most unique lane that I can find was just simply kind of telling, um, you know, kind of, uh, writing about my exploration process, um, and making it personal to me in terms of all the information that I was able to research along with the individuals that I was able to interview, you know, both, uh, black people who are atheists and Christian um, kind of talk about their experiences just to get a full, um, a, a much more full-bodied experience in terms of what it is to be um, black and Christian and um, and then uh, black and an atheist, you know, leaving Christianity and what that looks like. So that's what led me to the book. Wow, that's fascinating. I mean, it sounds, it's interesting because in 2014, I underwent my own exploration of faith and ended up as an atheist as well. And I took a a similar path in that I didn't just want to sit and think about it myself. I wanted to talk to other people who had gone through the similar type of uh, journey as me or had the same kinds of doubts and questions and uh, what led them to be atheists or what was unconvincing about Christianity to them. And on the other side, I did talk to some Christians as well about why, after looking at everything, they decided to remain Christian. Because at some point, and I'm sure you could relate to this, when you decide that, you know, for your money, there is no God, you know, to your to your mind, after all that research, there's no God, it does, at that point, looking at people who are really smart and yet believe in God, it seems kind of weird, right? Like, you're like, right. wow, you're so smart, yet you still believe in God. How is that? So I wanted to find out about that, too. So it was interesting. So I also, I didn't do quite the same kind of formal interviews that you did, um, mm-hmm. but I went around and talked to people. I went to some conferences, atheist conferences, and just you know, had conversations with people. And um, so in your case, were all of the interview subjects that you talked to, were they all um, uh, either black Christians or black atheists? Yeah, the the, the vast majority, the vast majority of them um, mm. were black Christians uh, or black atheists. The, um, the ones that were not, uh, either because, you know, they're, whether they're Christian or atheist, um, white, Asian, um, I think even one Indian, um, those individuals end up talking to me once they found out about the subject of my book. Right. Um, and that's something that I thought was interesting. My, my, uh, my book, you know, before it was finished and even after it was finished became kind of a talking piece. Hmm. Um, and somewhat, uh, of a reason to have this open dialogue about religion that at least for me has never really come up before. Usually when a conversation about religion um, you know, would, would, would come about, it would be more of, you know, we're all on the same page and you, you get the sense of, you know, people don't want to be that disruptor. They, you know, they want to fit in. So everyone's just kind of on the same page. No one's really pushing back. We all do the same thing. We all praise the same way, things of that nature. But this book, you know, when my wife, who's 
um, you know, one of the you know biggest supporters of my book, she'll tell somebody, oh, you know, you know, Dave, you know, he wrote a book, and then that person will come over to me and say, hey, you know, your wife told me you wrote a book. What's it about? <laughs> so of course, they didn't tell me what it's about. So then hey. I tell, uh, you know, yeah. So it's about um, you know religion in the black community and, and my journey out of faith. Um, then uh, more more than likely, and I, I can almost do a study on this you know, in and of itself. But more than likely, if that individual is coming to me on their own, or maybe with another person they're comfortable with, um, this open dialogue will will ensue. You know, they'll ask all these questions, and they'll start to tell me about some of their doubts or their experience, whether they're Christian or not. They're like, you know, oh yeah, I've had questions too. You know, or you know what? Turns out I'm an atheist as well. And it's just you know, it's just open dialogue. Now, if we're in a group setting, my book comes up. Then it's usually silent. It's like, oh, that's cool, congrats. And then yeah. we move to another subject. It's like I don't want to, I don't want to ask about that. So, but um, but again, in those one-on-one situations, uh, the book has served has served as a great talking piece to to you know for other people to feel comfortable to you know whether it's using me as a sounding board or just kind of um, just just having an opportunity to kind of talk about some of the things that they would they normally wouldn't talk about because they don't want to be judged and you know talking to someone who's obviously now an atheist. They're like, well, I'm a Christian, so it's, it, I, I can definitely, you know, let the, let you know about these few questions I had. I'm not going to feel bad talking to you because you obviously, you know, made the full leap there. So, right. Um, and uh, it's, it, it was very interesting, and a lot of uh, I found in doing my research, there was a lot of white people who were interested in my um, and um, in, in my book, which I which I didn't see that coming. I mean, to be honest, initially I didn't even know who would be into my book at all. I just was really writing it more so for me mm-hmm. um, and and my kids as well. Uh, like I said, I. Um, the, uh, around the time I started questioning and and um, and, and decide that I'm not really a believer, I I'm not I'm not really buying this. Um, was I just got married and I just had my first child, and I thought, you know, when my son gets old enough to ask questions, what would I what would I tell him? You know, like if if he said, Dad, is there a God? You know, t- tell me more about Christianity. What what would I tell him? And and I don't I'm not the type to try to you know offer a fake answer. I'd rather just say I don't know. But right. since I was curious in the answer. Um, I, I went ahead and did some research on my own, and I thought this would serve as a good foundation, um, not to necessarily tell my kids, you know, what to think, but just tell them, you know, how to think that this is definitely an exploration, and having your own, you know, authentic truth is definitely better than having, you know, a hand-me-down, you know, belief that you kind of have to, you feel pressured to subscribe to for whatever reason. So, um, so, so for me, that book served that purpose, and again, it opened up those different conversations that, for me, never really. Uh, transpired, you know, prior to doing this research, you know, prior to uh, writing this book. Um, mm. and, uh, like I said, it was very, very interesting, like some of the conversations that I was able to have, you know, with people as they kind of open up, you know, about their yeah. life and their experience. So, yeah, when you when people find out you're a safe person, um, whether it's, you know, maybe you, you have a slightly different political viewpoint, or maybe you have a slightly different, like in your case, religious viewpoint, people definitely do tell you stories that, you know, other people would never hear. It right. sounds like your um you and your now wife were sort of on this path together. Did you guys it sounds like you tracked pretty closely from being Christians, cultural Christians as you say, to mm. then being atheists. Is that is that fair to say? Did you guys kind of move along that path at the same pace? Uh for for the most part, I I've, uh it's it's been my experience, you know, in marriage when you when one person dives into something, it doesn't it it it, it almost gives them permission to start exploring on you know themselves. So, for example, that same year, um, I also um, you know changed my diet as well. I, I changed to being a pescatarian, you know, meaning you know I didn't eat um, uh, the only meat that I would eat would be like seafood. 
Um, so I kind of changed up my diet a bit. And then my wife, she started, you know, kind of delving into um, some 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 different things as well, you know, with regards to her diet. So it was no different than, you know, with religion. She um, she saw that I was questioning and, and, you know, I was doing this research. And um, like I told you earlier, when we were watching that documentary, she was comfortable with questioning. But when she saw me make that full conversion, she was like, you know what? I, too, had some other questions, you know, growing up um, that uh, that were quelled by one parent. You know, one parent would say, you know, don't ask that. This is what it is. There's God, Jesus and the story. And another parent would say, hey, it's all right to have questions. You know, it's definitely OK to explore. And then now I think, um, you know, being married and seeing, you know, my process, you know, watching me go through it, it almost implicitly gave I don't want to say gave her permission, but made her feel comfortable with, you know, starting to ask some of these tough questions herself again without feeling judged. And, and knowing that it can be okay. And then she also saw me go through the process of telling my family members and friends, and she's watching me go through the process. And I imagine probably gaining confidence to go, you know what, it's okay for me to tell my family and friends that, you know, at one point I have questions. And then at the, and then at another point, you know what, I don't really believe either. Yeah. So, um, and, uh, and I, I think, I, I, I don't know that if she, um, if her exploration was like necessarily right on pace with mine, I mean, I, I almost feel like, um, that she was kind of already there, but maybe, um, but maybe just didn't know if she had if if she would have the social support. Um, you know, had she come out and said, "Hey, I have questions," or, and or, "Hey, I'm you know I'm, I'm a non-believer, I'm an atheist." But I know that once she did finally cross that threshold, uh, that was a very interesting uh, conversation with her parents versus with you know my mother. Um, I was raised in a single parent household, so my mother, um, I feel like um, she had a interesting time with that decision because, you know, she obviously had, um, she was a big influence on, you know, my sister and I and our upbringing and what we thought, what we believed. And I kind of talk about this in the book, how I talked about how, you know, she always raised us to be critical thinkers, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, she, again, if we did something wrong, she would talk about, you know, think about what you do, uh, why you did, you know, why did you do that? Why did you go on that path? And for her, if you were to tell her, I don't know, that would get you more in trouble. If you say, I don't know why I did what I did, that would get you more in trouble than just kind of telling her why you made that wrong decision. Wow. So it's all about thinking, you know, understanding what you do. So it's literally that that upbringing serves as the foundation for um, my questioning. So I can understand why, you know, my mother um, was a little shocked. But at the same time, though, when I told her, hey, you kind of raise us, you know, like this, um, you know, and, and you didn't really raise us, you know, in the church as much. Like we definitely went to church, but you know, her 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 um, her lessons were more critical thinking and logic based versus you know Bible based and, and, and Christianity based. So, right. um, so so for my mom, I, I think she slowly but surely started to understand that while she's still a Christian and, and, and still think that's the way, she can understand how she definitely created that foundation for thinking and, and reasoning and things of that nature. Now, my wife's parents, on the other hand. Um, you know, her parents, you know, definitely took it, um, uh, took it on the chin. Uh, it, it was a lot more of a dramatic uh, conversation. But at the same time, you know, I salute her for her bravery and, and, and being able to have that conversation with her parents. Um, and uh, and I think it really set the tone for um, not not only us, you know, moving forward with our with our respective parents, but also for our kids, you know, moving forward in terms of what type of foundation we want them to be raised in, you know, with regards to being exposed to religions and how we, what we want that to look like. Right. So it's been it's been a very interesting journey. You talk in the book, and I, to me, one of the most interesting parts of the book is towards the end where you start getting into some of the history of the experience of uh, African people in America and the way Christianity was 
uh, transmitted from slaveholders to slaves and how that has affected the way that the black community has embraced Christianity. And, and you sort of in one point puzzle about how is it that um, the oppressed could, you know, so willingly embrace the religion and the God of the oppressor. Um, mm. did, you, did you come to some satisfactory conclusions about that? Because it's something that I, too, have, have wondered about. I, um, I, 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 don't, I, I never really came to um, uh, a conclusion that was, you know, settling for myself. Mm. I, I, feel like, um, I feel like the lack of dialogue um, in the black community about religion and about its roots um, and that not only about religion, but also some of the historical black figures um, that we'll talk about, even in the church, who weren't Christian, who were free thinkers and non-believers. Um, you know, we don't have a real conversation about um, black people in, in its diversity or its religious diversity, if you will. I think we still like to look at ourselves as a, a religious monolith, like, you know, you're black, you're Christian, end of story. Well, and so and, many of the vocal leaders of the community you know, you know, folks like Al Sharpton and Jesse Jackson and so forth are, are clergy and steeped in, um, you know, Christianity in particular. And then you do, right. of course, talk about Louis Farrakhan and Malcolm X and the, the um, Islam that kind of grew up in America and, and sort of re- revolt against, um, you know, the Christianity of, of white America. So it's, it's interesting, but you're right. There's really little dialogue about it, it seems. Right. And, and, and I think for me that that would be um, if I had any goal for the book, um, you know, it, it would be to kind of start an open and honest dialogue um, about Christianity and the role that is played historically and especially today um, in the black community and how it can permeate our decision making and, and, and in, in a negative way, in, in my opinion. Um, and, and I don't mean from a personal standpoint, but more so from just, you know, the effect on a community. Hmm. So um, I think. I think I think if we had an honest dialogue, you know, like you said earlier, just about what what that conversion process looked like initially. You know, what I, I think mm. I think that would I think that would kind of set the tone for uh, a real conversation on what it looks like today, because that process wasn't pretty in the first place. It, it was um, the conversion from you know African spirituality um, and our culture, you know, our dialect, things of that nature, was a violent conversion over to Christianity for you know control. Yeah, the purpose um, of control. Yeah, absolutely, and 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 not only just control, but that that control also because uh, for for money, because you know obviously uh, you know slavery. Um, you know, obviously was, you know, a huge moneymaker. Right. And they knew that the slaves that were more prone to rebellion were the ones that were still adhering to, you know, their cultural ways. It gave them a sense of pride. It gave them a sense of being. It gave them a sense of, you know, rebellion, a sense of purpose outside of what they needed for, you know, their business. And if you're going to offer someone, um, some type of, you know, sedative, if you will, you know, something to calm you down, something to, um, you know, something to kind of get you in check, get you in line. I don't want it to stop my production. I still want you to be productive. I just don't want you to be disruptive. Hmm. So, and I, and I, I think that, I think you can still see effects of, um, of being productive, but not being disruptive. So if you think of, if you think of um, any movements or you know any black you know leaders trying to cause disruption, um, and like you just said, a lot of these leaders might be steeped in the in the, in the Christian faith. You know their, their disruption is only 
is only so effective. They, they still may be productive in terms of, you know, you go out, you make money for yourself and, you know, you're OK. But in terms of um, disrupting the status quo to gain a little bit more equality for the community as a whole, that's a no go. Um, you're still in check overall. You know, you're still in check um, and, and you're only going to go so far. And, um, and, and, I, and obviously, I can be speaking from my opinion, but if anybody looks at where we are now and the areas where we're lacking, um, how are they any different from, you know, where we were a few hundred years ago in the areas that we were lacking in? And mm. if I'm talking about the different areas we were lacking in terms of education, um, business ownership, um, how, how much the, the, how long the dollar circulates in our community, um, uh, health. Um, again, just all these different areas where we were lacking, uh, when we were first quote unquote freed until today, none of that has changed. And I'm not saying Christianity is, uh, the sole reason for that, but again, in the black community, if we're going to have a real conversation about what needs to be changed, I think nothing should go unchecked, including Christianity, because that was there since the foundation and the inception of our, again, quote unquote freedom. So for me, um, I don't think Christianity um, has done a whole lot for us in terms of in terms of um, being able to get us to a better place and where we want to be. I do think it has helped in terms of making us feel better internally. So, mm, you know, if you're going right. through if if you're going through um, some type of stress, if you're going through um, uneasiness, you know, due to your situation, you know, again, you're in abject poverty, um, again, these unhealthy situations, um, being unemployed, things of that nature, not, you know, having a lack of resources, a uh, lack of opportunities. I do think not just Christianity, but lots of religions can certainly give you a type of peace within that can allow you to make it to the next day, which is why I have no doubt, um, um, I have no doubt that slaves would use it in the same, you use religion in the same way. Um, especially in that in, in that case where you literally had no freedom at all. So I think uh, black people still use Christianity um, as a sedative to do some of the similar things today. Um, but I don't think it's, it's going to be the solution that's going to catapult us to um, our next um, our, our next big uh, uh, platform in terms of success. And um, I think Christianity also and again, not just Christianity, but religion in general is also good at uh allowing you to be okay with tomorrow, you know, like Jesus is going to come tomorrow, you know, quote unquote tomorrow, if you will, right. to come uh, free us and give us that blessing. It's just, it's just right there on the horizon. Um, and then if, and then if you're wrong all the way up until you, your last final days, just tomorrow, just tomorrow, you say that to you 80 years old and pass away. Well, there's always that second act you have, you have the afterlife. It's right there. It's always just barely eluding us. And if you're a believer of that, there's always a reason not to be um, on, on 100% go mode. It's okay to slow down and, you know, it's, it's coming. It'll be here soon. You know, so it's, it's a little it's disempowering, you know, and you were talking about that a minute ago, the sedative, what Marx called the opiate of the people, right. you know, that sedative, it, it serves a dual purpose, right? Like, so if you have like some abdominal pain and you take a painkiller, it'll make you feel good. Like you won't have that pain anymore but whatever's hurting you inside is still there hurting you, right. you know, and it maybe it's cancer and it's growing, even though you don't feel it anymore because you're taking this medication, it's Absolutely. still hurting you. It's still killing you. Right. You're treating the symptom. Um, and again, you're not necessarily treating that, that root cause, you know, the actual, you know, the, the problem itself. And that can be dangerous. Uh, obviously that can be dangerous. And, and again, that, that, 
that um, explanation obviously was more on a macro level. But if sure. you just look at just small, just small examples, like for, um, and again, I know this happens in all kinds of communities, but this is extremely bad in the black community with regard to um, health. You know, if we talk about mental health, things of that nature, if you misdiagnose the problem, you know, in the first place, it's going to be very hard to come up with a viable solution. So if someone is dealing with some type of mental illness, which, um, which, which black people have um, a higher rate um, at being exposed to some type of mental illness, you know, mm-hmm. be it um, PTSD or, or, or depression or, you know, um, ADHD, things of that nature, mm-hmm. then and you, let's say we say it's because of demons. I'm not treating a mental illness now. Now I'm treating demons. Well, right. How do you treat that? Well, you, you pray over, you pray or, or, or some along those lines. Again, I'm I was fortunate enough not to come up in a household where my mom ever said anything was a demon. Um, so so, I, but but I've I've interviewed people who went through that, and I've seen that in the black community. Hmm. I had a I had a best friend who I came up with. And his father, you know, was a pastor, and I, you know, I stayed the night at his house often, you know, and I saw how much religion, um, you know, permeated their family, and so, so I know how much, you know, it can really mean to a family, and it's really like a real solution to real problems to them. So, um, and and unfortunately, that's not it. You know, if if we're if black people are being um, being uh, uh, diagnosed with PTSD. ADHD, depression, you know, suicide, things of that nature, um, at a, at a very alarming rate. Um, we need we need a real solution, and, and prayer is not going to do it. But if you literally sit down, um, and 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 utilize that as the main solution, utilize that as the main focus, then you know we're going to be in trouble. And again, that's just one area. That's not even touching on you know education or or business or finances or. Um, uh, home ownership, you know, things of that nature. There's so many areas where we're lacking. And if prayer was always going to be the same answer, um, not only just today, but the same answer for 400 years, something's got to change. You know, we have to change up the playbook eventually. And I feel like as long as we're going to be, um, we are going to be, uh, just, just overly religious, um, and we are going to adhere to religion at a high rate, um, then we are going to, and not only that, but pass it down to our kids as well. Then we are going to have, um, a long time of some of the same results, you know, and, and, and that that to me is what's depressing, not not black people, you know, in their homes praying. I, I can care about that. I mean, if that's what makes you feel good, I'm fine with that. But I want to see, you know, I want to see my people do better. Um, and, and it saddens me when um, we're watching TV and and, and you know, we're, we're talking about issues in the black community and say, you know, we'll pray for you. Like, that's literally our solution. Like, mm. We'll pray for you. that 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 to me is depressing. Like, that's all we're going to do. And and, and I, I don't have any hope if that's going to be um, our main solution to some of these very real problems that, um, that that have been plaguing our black community for way too long. Yeah, you point out in the book, and it's it's so interesting. It made me um, think of something that I had uh, seen, which I'll mention in just a second. But you write um, in the book about um, 85% of blacks do not attend or graduate from college. 85% of blacks do not own land. 85% uh, are not commit, considered middle or upper middle class. Uh, 85% are not employed, uh, 85% of blacks grew up in a single parent home, and 85% or more of blacks subscribe to one type of faith or another. And those are very like striking statistics. And um, I, I, it makes me think of um, someone who I'm, I'm sure you, you have met or know, uh, Jeremiah Kamara, who yeah. um, you know put that documentary together, Contradiction, which was the mm-hmm. first time that it had been really uh, like sort of impressed upon me that you see, uh, as he points out, um, a, a church on every corner in the most depressed c- 
communities um, mm-hmm. in the nation. And, right. you know, he, he conducts these amazing interviews with individuals where he, uh, clergy from these churches, they say, well, you know, you have a church here and a church there, and you're, you're telling people that Jesus loves them, and you're telling people that God's looking out for them, and if they just are faithful and pay their tithe and pray and come to church, that God will take care of them. And yet, uh, look around, you know, at the situation, you know, what's really, and that, again, like you said, that's not to say that every black church is taking advantage of people or disempowering them. Um, for some, their faith really has empowered them to uh, take the bull by the horns and really try to change society. But it seems for the most part that it's been, as you've been saying just now, a very disempowering. Are you, are you right. familiar with, with Jeremiah's work? I am. I am. I've seen, uh, I've, I've seen that uh, documentary. And um, I remember I saw that documentary, you know, toward the tail end of actually writing uh, this particular book. Hmm. Um, I would love to meet him as well. And I reached out to him and, you know, to actually purchase the documentary. Um, and and I, I think I reached uh, back out to him after watching it and letting him know it was, it was great stuff. My wife and I both sat down and watched it. And um, and that point stuck out to me as well. And I kind of touched on it a little bit in the book um, in terms of um, in terms of just, again, seeing a church almost on every corner. Um, and not all the time, but, you know, oftentimes you'll see those churches, uh, conveniently nestled in some of the most deplorable, dilapidated neighborhoods as well. Mm. Um, and again, that kind of touches on to the point, um, that I was talking about earlier in terms of, um, you know, religion permeating so many, uh, different facets of our decision-making. And I think it's adversely affecting the way we make decisions. I think we can, I think if we were to kind of divorce ourselves from uh, the spiritual aspect of it, not the community aspect. If it brings you together right. with your friends, that's great. If it makes you feel better inside, that's excellent. Um, but but again, if you say, you know what, to figure out what we're going to do with this money, let's pray about it first. Mm. You know, let's, let's let's sit down and create a financial plan like other communities do, right. um, and then also flourish. And then and it, it doesn't. I mean, I'm not a financial genius, but I mean, but if I'm looking at this 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 beautiful opulent church. Uh, again, nestled between, you know, a, a crack house and a gun shop or a dilapidated house and you know, things of that nature. Right. Uh, and we're pouring more money into this one place. Um, you know, clearly th- there's got to be a, a better financial model that benefits the whole of the community and not the people who happen to reside in that one church house. If we're all going to live in the church house, then let's continue to do that. But if we're all going to go back and spread out into these um, in, into this neighborhood that is clearly in need of financial help, um, I, I think, you know, we should take it upon ourselves to do it ourselves and kind of reroute our finances um, in, in a smarter way. And again, this is a obviously an opinion because there's not one way to do this. But I think if we look at historically how we've done this, how um, how we have invested in our local church and what our, and what our neighborhoods have looked like historically, I think we can... Um, if nothing else, at least divorce from that blueprint and just try something different. I mean, just for the hell of it. Just right. try something. Just try something. And yeah. if it doesn't work, then let's try something else. But I mean, but clearly this model hasn't worked because we've been doing it for a long time. And I think if you interviewed just, you know, the average black person who lived in these neighborhoods, they too would be unhappy with the standards of their community. So let's do something different. But that adherence to religion is so strong, it blinds you to um to again to, to to your state of affairs not to where you don't realize where you are but again that that promise of something else that promise of a jesus that promise of 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 a better afterlife are no different than the same promises the slave master was telling our ancestors when they told us to endure this la- you know picking cotton for 11 hours straight because mm. there's a promise of a something else but but now we're telling ourselves you know this promise and now it's just kind of it, we, we we perpetuate the myth on our on our own, and that's the part where um, I think if we sat down and had an honest conversation, we can actually kind of break that and have religion play um, 
I don't want to say necessarily a lesser, but a different role in our life, one that doesn't necessarily dominate the decisions that have clearly um, led us to a point that we're not 100% happy with. Well, real quick before I let you go, um, say a little bit about your your education. I know you have a PhD and you're a corporate trainer. Like, what what are you? Um, what's the rest of your life like? Uh, yep. Yeah, so uh, I have a PhD in, in, in higher education, leadership in higher education, and um, yeah, corporate trainer. I'm a family man. I have uh, um, two two boys now, um, five and three. Um, and so, so I spent a lot of time, uh, with them and, you know, personally teaching them. I had a brief time where, um, I think it was maybe a, a couple of years, um, I was unemployed and home with them full time. Mm, mm. And it really allowed me to, you know, to, to really embrace like the education process and teaching them. Like I was there, like I was their teacher. So by the time they kind of got um, into school, they were like way, uh, further along than those other children. I mean, and not cause I even tried to do that. I, I didn't really know about, um, you know, children development where a three-year-old should be. I just kind of, <laughs> just, I just went along with their pace and just kind of taught them things that, um, that I think they should know. Right. And, uh, but, but in doing so, and at the same time, kind of writing this book in the process, it really allowed me, um, to, uh, kind of answer some interesting questions that, you know, that they have like, you know, like daddy, uh, you know, when we go to Gma's house, you know, we got to pray. How come we don't pray? You know, or I heard somebody say something about God. Who's that? So, so it's, it's been, um, so I, I kind of use that, that, those questions to continue and further their education again to not necessarily teach them what to think, but um, but just how to think. And uh, I spend a lot of time doing that. We um, every Sunday uh, we don't go to church, obviously, but but I do something called Science Sunday with them. So I'll take a question that they asked earlier in the week. Like um, one day it was like, what are what are we made of? So we did a Science Sunday. We did a whole thing about cells. We're made out of cells. And another time they were like, tell me about those clouds. So we did a whole thing on clouds. So wow, you know, I take that's time awesome. every week to just just kind of talk about some of the things that they've. Uh, or expound on some of the things that they asked about early in the week, or if they didn't have anything, I'll just find a simple topic and we do an experiment. I have my kids, you know, kind of drop a hypothesis and, you know, we, you know, we, we kind of have fun. I try to make it a fun thing. So I spent a lot of time doing that. Um, and, uh, and again, w- what I would love to do is um, I would love to get back into, uh, into writing my next book, which would have nothing to do with this topic. I, um, I wrote this book in part to kind of say everything I wanted to say about, uh, religion in the black community and, and, and non-belief. So, um, so uh, I, whatever book I write next is, is definitely about something else. But um, more than likely, I think I'm gonna um, write a book about kind of what we've been talking about is what black people need to do to kind of um, finally turn that corner mm. um, and start to make some changes. And, and again, um, while, while religion is one small piece of it, there's obviously a, a, a lot of different things that uh, you know we need to address in the black community to finally turn that corner so that can be that's obviously going to be a huge topic to tackle but um yeah uh, but yeah i know right uh, but it, it's not it's not necessarily on purpose it's just like i have a question i'm hung up on and you know before i know what i'm researching and before i know it it turns into a book so that, right. that kind of what takes up my time what are you um what are you reading right now for inspiration what's uh, what's on your nightstand um so let me see i um uh i just I just cracked open the book, um, The New Jim Crow by Michelle Alexander. Mm. I've, I've had that book for a few years now, and I've, I've watched documentaries on it, and I've read other articles about it, but, um, but I've been wanting to get into that book. But me writing my book and other stuff is sure. taking up time. So uh, reading that, and uh, Between the World and Me by ta Coates. Yeah, um, I was going to bring him uh, up earlier. That's fantastic. Yeah, yeah. I love that. 
Yeah, great book. Um, I'm almost done with it, but great book so far. And I think I think because I was reading or have been reading these books and delving into those topics, it's kind of led me to the topic I want to write about now. But those are the two um, that have kind of that, that are like literally on my nightstand right now. Um, and uh, and, and I'll, I'll find myself kind of reading articles related to those topics or maybe critiques um, or reviews about those books. Um, and uh, and and I find myself having those conversations, you know, with individuals as well. Um, not, not necessarily to get an answer or push forth my agenda, but just to find out, you know, what the people are saying, you know, about what we need to do and, you know, the, the state of black people today. And, um, and, and I'm finding more and more that I, I'm eager to kind of get my opinion out there in, in the form of a book. So, but the more I think about it, the more, the more, um, uh, realistic, um, I become in terms of what type of, um, you know, undertaking this is going to be, what type of research and how long it's going to take. So I might have to talk to you about 15 years from now with, with, <laughs> with regards to the conclusion of, of, of this particular process. But yeah, yeah those are the books that have um, been taking up my time so far. Well, it sounds like you're hopeful at least, you know, it's been, like I said earlier, it's been a tough year. And of course, frankly, it's been a tough, like you said, 400 years, uh, especially for, for black folks, but mm-hmm. it, it's, uh, it sounds like you have a sense of hope about you that there is I, a, I do. a lot of chances I, for, for things to change. I, I do. I I, um, I touched on it in the book, and I and I purposely put this at the end of the book where um, I recently was introduced to a young uh, a guy about my age and um, real smart guy. He has a PhD in, in education, like myself, and you know we have great intellectual conversations. And um, I like to think of myself as a you know as, as like a thinker. Like I like questioning stuff and thinking about things and research. But if, if anybody you know does this more more than myself, it's definitely this guy. Um, but um, you know, but he's also a Christian though. Mm-hmm. Um, and we had some great um, we'd had some great conversations about religion, especially when he found out about you know topic of my book, and um, and I was surprised in a good way about how critical he can be about um, black people, especially black people and their adherence to uh, you know religion. Um, and uh, and again, you know none of that really shook him in his faith. Again, he's still uh, a devout Christian, but um, he can still be very critical about it. And I think for me. Um, that's part of uh, what made me so optimistic um, of our future is seeing someone who's who's um, who's an intelligent person like you were talking about earlier in the podcast. We know they're a Christian, but they definitely are very critical of not just religion, but more so about religion and, and, and the, the role that it plays in our community. And that to me, that that critical thinking can lead to um, a more a more productive conversation. Um, a conversation that's not meant to necessarily satisfy the ears that happen to be listening, but 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 to purposely rattle your feathers to to make you make you know get up and make a change one way or another. And um, and uh, I, I can't wait to you know I know he said he was going to get the book. I can't wait for him to um, get a hold of it because I know he'll have you know have some interesting stuff to say one way or another. But um, but again, the, the type of conversation that him and I have had and I expect to continue to have. Um, especially after he reads the book, is the type of conversation I would love for the black community to have, you know, just amongst ourselves with regards to religion and, and not afraid to kind of say something. You know what? I have had questions. I think this part is stupid. You know, and I, I think this part is not relevant. I think we should stop doing X, Y, Z. Um, and, uh, and, and I think that type of conversation would lead to a level of honesty with regard to this topic that, I mean, I almost want to say be, you know, un- unprecedented. You know, we're all right. just know, questioning it and, and kind of doing our own thing and, and kind of um, creating our own, um, forming our own path and what Christianity or how Christianity plays a role in our life and not letting it be dictated for us, you know. It's really cool that you are 
um, I think in a way also modeling what you want. In other words, you've you've come from a Christian background. You've found your way to uh, critical thinking, as you've said so much, um, and and atheism. But you are still modeling that open mindedness and saying like, okay, I want to have a conversation. I, I don't. You know, realistically speaking, the black community isn't just going to wake up one day and be all done with religion. So we right. have to find a way to work within a system that's, you know, by and large, probably not going to go away. But how do we move it along in the right direction? And I mean, churches do provide amazing opportunities for organizing. People get together every week. There's, like you say, the human uh, support, the social support that churches provide. And, you know, it as, as um, so many... Black organizers in the civil rights movement found churches are great, you know, locuses for uh, organizing and mobilizing people. So, absolutely, well, I, th- I think I think again, you, you really touched on an important point. Again, and I really hope you know if there's any um, for all listeners, especially Black listeners, to understand, like you just said, um, it's not like uh, you know church has you know no purpose at all. You know, obviously, you know we have created a. a um, a system that definitely works for naturally who we are. We're social animals. We are emotional animals. And in church, you know, religion, you know, definitely um, caters to both of those very visceral elements. But at the same time, um, I, the, the, the def- something needs to be changed. You know, that that shouldn't be a question. Something needs to be changed. And I think sure. if we had an honest conversation and didn't and, and didn't leave religion out of it, it shouldn't get um, any type of preferential treatment. It should be up on the chopping block, just like anything else. Um, and we should shave away some of the antiquated. Um, parts that are specifically um, hindering our thinking process mm-hmm. and specifically hindering our progress, um, th- then I think what we'll be left with is, you know, the, the, the parts that still serve some type of purpose and use, and, um, and, and then the parts that didn't and were hindering us will be left on the cutting room floor. Well, Dov, thanks so much for coming on the show and taking the time from your family on a Friday night. It means a lot, and I know um, I, I really I trust listeners will appreciate everything you've had to share. Thanks for having me. I hope again, if any for any, for any listeners who want to you know check it out, um, uh, check out the book. Um, it's, it's actually there on Amazon um, and uh, and in BarnesandNoble.com as well. Um, and of course, they have the digital copy, and um, should be doing the audio book in the next month or so as well. So I'm looking forward to doing that. Oh, that's fantastic! Good luck on on promoting it and getting out there. Uh, I hope to see you down the road. Excellent. Sounds good. Thank you so much again for having me. really enjoyed Dov's book, but more interesting still was being able to talk to him, and I hope you enjoyed my conversation with him on this episode of the podcast. As I mentioned a time or two, his work reminds me so much of that being done by other prominent black atheists, including Jeremiah Kamara, the creator and producer of the documentary film Contradiction, as well as Mandisa Thomas, the founder and president of Black Nonbelievers. And uh, I know that Dov's getting a lot of good exposure right now in the atheist community through the podcasts and other uh, meetups and gatherings and conferences. But I do hope that you'll get a chance to uh, read his book. Uh, You can find that uh, wherever you buy books at barnesandnoble.com or amazon.com. You can also pick it up directly from Pitchstone. While I'm talking about Pitchstone, thanks to Tracy Moody and Pitchstone Publishing for bringing this book to my attention. Dov's a very smart man and has his finger on the pulse of some of the most important issues facing not only um, the religious community, but our world in general as it relates to race and politics and religion. So I hope that he gets a lot more play and I hope that you'll take some time to, to read his book.
Well, thanks for being part of this first episode back after the long hiatus. I appreciate you taking the time out of your day today to listen to this show. I hope you'll share it with a friend, share it on social media. And of course, if you like what we're doing here and you'd like to support us, you can do that at patreon.com slash lifeaftergod. You can also subscribe to the podcast at iTunes as well as Spreaker at spreaker.com slash lifeaftergod. Thanks again so much for joining me today. My name is Ryan Bell, and this has been the Life After God podcast. Podcast.